0: Good evening and good morning, EPL State of Mind listeners. Welcome back. I'm your host, James. And if you thought last week was fun and dramatic, this week we have an even bigger doozy for you. We've got kidnappings, maulings, and golden balls to discuss. We will take a look past the weekend of action as well as preview into the fixtures ahead of us. Uh, Be prepared for that and much more as we delve into the EPL State of Mind once again with my two best buds. Kyle, welcome back. And Sean. Welcome back, guys. I hope everyone's enjoying the week so far. Sean, I know you're probably enjoying it a little bit more than Kyle and I with that atrocious Jets over Giants win. It looked like two, it looked like two donkeys hitting each other with pillow bags full of bricks. It was horrible, just a terrible visual to watch. But congratulations, sir! And people thought soccer was boring. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> how are we doing? I know Kyle, you're a you're a bit stressed, but let's let's go to you, Sean. How are you feeling, man? How are you doing? Oh yeah, I mean, I was borderline
1: oh. considering driving to the GWB and hurling myself off when I thought the Jets were gonna lose to Tommy DeVito. Uh we won't talk about too much about that. <laughs> just with really like ready just blood
0: pressure spikes through the roof and then they ended up pulling it out and I was like, okay, I'm all right. So I'm good. You know, my I think my brother put it pretty well. I was trying to figure out how to make a connection to the Jets Giants game in terms of soccer and that game was probably equivalent to a zero, zero 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 goal scored game that went into penalty kicks, and one team made two penalty kicks, another team missed all five PKs. It was just so bad. It was for that for comparison. But I know, Kyle, how are you feeling, buddy, a fellow gi- Giants? Yeah, so this is a, a soccer
2: podcast. So I had a great weekend. Um,
1: Man City
2: <laughs> doing this thing, I watched a lot of soccer. We had a Classico Golden Ball, like you know, a really good weekend for real football. So,
0: you know, fuck fake football. Of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on the same wavelength as you, my friend. So why not? Let's get into it. Our hot news, unfortunately, again, starts off with a bit of melancholy news. Some positives on this kind of segment now p- compared to what it was over the weekend. But Sean, I know uh, this one hits home to the boys in red for pool. So why don't you go ahead and get started with the what's happening with Luis Diaz?
1: Oh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, news emerged Saturday night that his parents were kidnapped uh, near their home in Barrancas, Colombia. Um, they were able to find and rescue his mom, but they still are looking for his, his father. Um, the Colombian military is actually lining the border uh, with Venezuela because of their extradition and just the overall corruption there. Uh, the, the jungles of the Colombian-Venezuelan border to prevent him from being smuggled there. Um, And he's also being urged not to come home. I mean, I know there's an international break coming up, uh, but he's been urged by Colombian authorities not to go home for his own safety. Just, I mean, an awful situation. You you can't help but just feel for the guy and, you know, pray for his family's safe return. Um, The one nice moment was uh, on Sunday, Diogo Jota scored and then ran to the sideline and held up a Luis Diaz jersey and got, you know, a raucous applause from the Anfield crowd, which... I mean, obviously, it's it's just you know a, a moment of solidarity to show that you're here for him. But um, obviously, just thoughts and prayers
0: to the DS family and, and hope for his dad's safe return. Absolutely, it's crazy. You can't go. We can't go a whole week without something tragic happening to someone or a group of people. But on the Briar things of the hot news, we did have one of the most sought after trophy in individual play in football. History, and that is the Ballon d'Or ceremony that was held today. And The one and only Lionel Messi won his record breaking, who he held beforehand, eighth Ballon d'Or, which is crazy, which is four more, right? I'm sorry, three more than uh, Ronaldo for all those who are winning. Ronaldo has five. So Holland came in second place, and Mbappe came in third place. Some final standings for players in the Premier League was Kevin De Bruyne was actually in fourth, Rodri was in fifth, Julian Alvarez was in seventh, Bernardo Silva was in ninth. Just so everyone knows, I'm pretty sure you, you already just do know. Listing off the uh, Man City roster right there. Yeah, you beat you beat me to it, my friend. I was going to oh, say that. Oh, bummer. <laughs> bummer. <laughs> that is what insane. I mean, look, look at that. Ah, uh, it is what happens when you're in trouble. And finally, someone with some skill outside of the Manchester City realm is Mosala was in 11th place. Emmy Martinez was in 15th, which doesn't make much sense because he actually won number one goalkeeper overall, and someone in the goalkeeping land placed higher than him in the Ballon d'Or rankings. Don't want to get into that, but that's a bit nutty. Uh, Andre Onana is in 23rd, who I think we can pretty much say he's probably out of the running for next year. And then Saka in 24th, who still has a young season ahead of him. Uh, Vardial from Manchester City, but at the time was RB, RB Leipzig, I believe. And then Udegaard at 29, who uh, still has a relatively bright future ahead of him as well. So the English Premier League had the most nominees in, uh, you know, just league rankings. So really, hats off to the Premiership. Uh, Sean, what do you what do you think about Messi winning his eighth Ballon d'Or? I know Kyle, you have some comments on this too. So we'll go a little, a little around the horn here. I, I listen. I obviously I have tons of
1: respect for Lionel Messi. He's the greatest player to ever play this sport. I think Holland should have won it. When you have a treble, you score, you break the record. I think he had what thirty-eight goals in the league last year or something, nuts thirty-six, something ridiculous like that. Yeah. Uh you win a treble, you win the golden shoe across Europe in goals. Messi, you know, was playing part of the season in, in the USA, you know, beating up plumbers and college kids. <laughs> and 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 Holland just t- you know dominating at the very top level. I think there's too much weight on the World Cup, and I know that sounds so ridiculous to say because the World Cup is the greatest tournament in the sport. But I I, I just don't think you can weigh seven games so heavily. I don't think Luka Modric should have won it in 2018, and I don't think Messi should have won it. I think this should have been Holland. I'm sure Kyle, you probably have similar sentiments.
2: Um, actually, believe it or not, I'm okay with this one. Uh, you know what? It came down to clutchness for me. Messi was clutch he scored when he had to when the whole world was watching that man put the ball in the back of the net at the biggest stage you can and when the whole world watched Holland he went 0 for 4 in the last four games of his Champions League you know run this year but you know you take away those two tournaments like Sean was saying it's you know it's a 50 goal treble winning season for the young man Uh, he'll have many more chances at this but this one did just come down to popularity Messi's been all over the news cycle lately for everything he's been doing, between Miami, between the World Cup, like you name it, you see Messi. But you know, one one cool fact I'll say about this one was this now puts Argentina as the country with the most Ballon d'Or wins ever at eight, followed by I believe it's Portugal, Germany, France, and the Netherlands. Brazil's got to be in there, no? Uh, I'm not sure. But I know that the other four of those all have seven because they were all tied for first. But the interesting fact on this one is that if you look at the other countries, it's not one guy. you know you got three players with France, or I'm sorry, three players with Portugal to get their seven, five players on Germany, three players on Netherlands and five players on France. And then you got one guy on Argentina
0: who has eight. So this might be a completely James, how are you hosting a soccer podcast if you don't know this one, but why was this not an award where when Maradona was playing for Argentina, he, he, he never won it. Yeah. That's outrageous.
1: Yeah, I know, man. He never won it. I mean, would Um, he have shown up? crazy. No. No way.
0: (laughs) But the party, if he did show up after. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Oh, sure. I'm sure. That that trophy would be hollowed out with nothing but a straw sticking out the top of it. I mean, that would be (laughs) crazy, bro. But, I mean. Oh, man. To, to get back to the 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 winner of Messi, I, I'm I'm kind of lining up with Sean Kyle. I value your opinion heavily on the fact of clutchness, because I was having this argument with my brother on the bus ride home today that Messi put two in in the World Cup final, only to be outshined by Mbappe, who scored a hat track who could arguably you know be up in that running as well, but didn't win anything other than league un so that not really anything to yeah. really stamp his efforts there but right now just this is insane from July 2022 when Holland joined Manchester City to now he has appeared in tw- uh, 68 games and has scored 65 times this is all comps for man city so that's just insane less than a goal a game kind of stinks yeah though. he's lacking <laughs> it's over 68 games that's insane so we will definitely be hearing about this young man this nor uh, this nor- uh norway player. Uh, you know, citizen who is going to absolutely ruin futures. Uh, So no doubt in my mind, he will win a few in his time. I was going to say one player I feel like they did leave out of this
2: entire thing, though, was Harry Kane. He's been so good for so long. And I'm sure if you guys are seeing what he's doing in Germany when he went went to Bayern Munich this year, he's up to 12 goals in 12 games with nine assists, and he scored from 60 yards out (laughs) this weekend. To complete his second hat trick in 12 games.
1: Yeah, no one can debate. He's a top 30 player in the world. Like, it's absurd to say it's not. I think the voting is heavily weighted by what you do in the Champions League. Um, you know, like, for example, obviously Liverpool stunk last year, but Salah had the most goals until the semifinals, I think, and then, or maybe the quarterfinals, whatever. But through the group stage in the first, you know, knockout round, he had the most. And then the rest, I mean, are, are guys that either went far in Europe or, you know, dominated in their league. Kane obviously dominated individually, but Tottenham was terrible last year. They finished eighth,
0: so I think that plays a main factor, but definitely a a very good shout. Absolutely, and I mean, it kind of segues nicely into what we're talking about next because we we were talking about all these, you know, uh, Man City players who were in the running for the Ballon d'Or, and one name that we were not able to say in this but probably had an honorable mention in the category was Ilkay Gundogan, and he opened up his scoring count for Barca in the first half of this El Clasico, which was phenomenal. So I think, uh, why don't we go ahead and pop in there? Because there's another name that was one of the youngest players to score in this fixture. And he was very high up in the uh, Ballon d'Or rankings for the first time. And that's Jude Bellingham. So Kyle, why don't we start off with you? Because you're on the Real Madrid side. And then we'll wrap it up uh, for the hot news with with you, Sean, on on Barca.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I, want, I want Gundogan back. He's so clutch. He's so clutch. He scores in every. He scored for every big game for us. You know, like I was talking about Holland not scoring the Champions League. When he doesn't, Gundogan would step up every time. So it's not surprising that he scored in the first five minutes of his first El Clásico. One push comes to shove, but he's not even the star of this game. I mean, Jude Bellingham is an absolute unit out there. He almost looked like Holland out there, not touching the ball at all. But when he gets his foot on the ball, the ball goes into the back of the net. He was you know, making the runs, the ball just wasn't getting to him. His first goal was a piss missile from 30 yards out that, you know, it might've taken the slightest deflection. If it did, it did not change the trajectory of the ball much. Uh, You know, the keeper even got hands to it. It was just such a fast shot. There's nothing you can do about it. And then, you know, he wins it in the, was it the 92nd minute? And, you know, James actually mentioned this today, which I'd never, I never even knew this, but that's the first time in what James, 70 years that a team has been down in El Clasico and come back and actually won the
0: game? Down from playing away. I think it was like Uh, 1968 or something like that was the last time that happened, where the away team was down and they came back to win it. And you got to rely on what the youngest guy out there to do it. (laughs) It's crazy. Who is the youngest player ever to score a game winner in El Clasico? I mean, that's insane. And he, he did it with a brace. So really impressive. Obviously, a bit of fortune and luck of positional awareness for him for that second goal, but still, it went in the back of the net. You can't knock the guy.
2: I once watch that goal 15 times debating whether or not Modric intended that touch. Because, you know, when you look at it in slow motion, that touch was perfection. Takes the ball, bounces it over the one other defender right to his feet. But I'm sure, I mean, that is a... I, there's not a man on earth who could claim to have made that touch that people would believe 100%. Other than maybe Luca, Maybe, maybe Luca. I think I dude, maybe I think I <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. But yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a Madrid fan when push comes to shove, so I'm very happy with this result. I'm very happy for Madrid. They seem to have found their new talisman up top. So you know what? I just hope they can continue. I know there's stuff going on with Ancelotti, but we won't get into that because this is a Premier League podcast. So <laughs> I will pass the Barca on over to Sean because I don't like talking about them.
1: <laughs> Listen, I'm, not, I'm not I'm not a fan of either team. Um, I would definitely lean more Barça than than Real Madrid mostly because they've just owned us in the Champions League, us being Liverpool, but uh, yeah, this is really, this is definitely a good good match. I think Barça controlled the play, particularly through the first probably 60, 65 minutes. Um, it is weird seeing games not at camp now because of um, you know, construction. It was, this was held at the Olympic Stadium from like the 90s. I think they they had it in Olympics in Barcelona. Just like a weird atmosphere. It just doesn't retain yeah. the noise the same way that the Burnabout or, you know, Camp Now does. But um, yeah, very interesting game. Like you said, Gundogan opened up his account and Jude Bellingham, man. What a freak. 12th 12, 12 in the Ballon d'Or at 20 years old. And and there's almost no way, barring, you know, catastrophic injury, that he's not higher next year. I'm no, talking about one, not. You know, one of the youngest players in. in you know, on either team and, and just dominant. Um, incredible start to his time in Madrid
0: for sure. Do you think that helps? And this is kind of off the tangent, but circles back into the fact of the Ballon d'Or. Do you think the fact that he's on Real Madrid is going to weigh heavily in the selection rather than if he was, let's say, per on Liverpool for the Ballon d'Or? It seems to me that, you know, it tends to go a little bit more in La Liga terms than English Premier League. I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know necessarily. Listen, like
1: Liverpool's got a bound or winner. Manchester United has multiple. I think you know certainly his chances at Real Madrid are significantly higher than they are at Dortmund. Um, and I think a big part of that also is you know how far the competitions and and stuff like in, that, right, right, yeah. the, the history and and how much that you know they've achieved in the Champions League, and we expect them to be you know there or thereabouts in terms of the, you know the last four or the final, you know. Obviously City's the favorite, but you know, Bayern and Real are probably the next the next two right there. So I think that plays plays a factor in 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 how the voting turns out as well. I almost think it
2: hurts playing playing for one of the big two in Spain. You know, like think about Luis Suarez when he had 33 goals, or what was it, 34 goals, Sean, for Liverpool in that season. That is way more impressive, in my opinion, to do than playing with Lionel Messi at Barcelona when the ball is going to be teed up for you on a golden plate. You know, like you gotta you gotta earn it. In the Premier League, it's the hardest league in the world for a reason. So I think, you know, same numbers coming out of each league, I lean the Premier League, always.
1: Yeah, but I don't know if voters think that way.
0: I, I get your point, but I don't think voters necessarily think that way. That's fair. Well, two of the uh, moving on to the next segment here because we kind of spoke about those two giants that have little historic, or well, at least one giant that has historical uh, Ballon d'Or presence is Manchester United. And this weekend we had the Manchester Derby, and you know, speaking to Mike and, and Brendan over the weekend, Brendan I know I think he was looking at possibly a five nil absolute ass kicking from Manchester City, and he got a small ass kicking, and Manchester United only lost to to Man City by three to nil. But, I mean, I'm still scratching my head basically about the, the lineup selection from Eric Ten Hag. But before we get into the woes of Manchester United, as we have of, as of late on the podcast, why don't we start off with, you know, highlighting Manchester City. Kyle, I know you were pretty excited about the result. I know that having a goal come, two goals come from Holland is exactly what you needed in this. So what's your opinion, where, where, where's your head at right now for Manchester City, who are currently sitting in third place below Tottenham and Arsenal?
2: You just had to yeah. get in that little quip, huh?
0: Yeah, I, you know I how quickly it. I said that too? Just uh-huh. to serve that right up to you?
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, listen, I'm I'm super, super pleased with this result. It's one of those results that needed to happen. You got a powerhouse such as Manchester City going against a skeleton of what they used to be at Manchester United. So I don't think anyone is particularly surprised at a 3-0 win. You know, I thought the victory margin was going to be at least two. It should have been at least two. But the positives that take away from this are the individual performances. Grealish looked unbelievable coming in off that left side. His his simple move of just a outside the right foot cut inside worked, must have been 11 out of 11 times. It was incredible. Um, other than that, Bernardo Silva's distribution was unmatched. He should have had multiple assists. His, I mean, the goal that Holland scored in the 50th minute was a carbon copy of the play in the second minutes of stoppage time. It was Bernardo Silva coming in to the left post from the 18-yard box, looking down, chipping the ball over the goalie and defenders, and Holland is there, and he knows Holland's there because he's not even looking up. You know, I watched the game with my dad, and even he said, he goes, this is a play that they must have drawn up in the practice field because that's not the first time they're doing it this game, and it's working, you know? Um, other than that, The the defense made a couple blunders. Not super happy about it. I thought United should have scored in the 30th minute or the 25th. Whenever they had their one chance, it was a breakaway that he just took too heavy a touch. But um, I thought Foden was great. He was a workhorse, as he always is. The midfield kept possession well. Holland, it's great to see him back with two goals again. I mean, that puts him equal games to goals again for the season, which if you've been watching City, you know he's underperforming. He is not where he should be. He's missing a lot of open opportunities and he's not getting much of the ball. But even that puts him at a goal a game, which is fantastic. Um, You know, Foden was, he was great. I'm, I'm glad he got his goal as well. I do want to touch on that. I feel like he's been underappreciated lately. You know, he he's just out there nonstop playing good competitive football. And he might not get his name on the score sheet or the assist sheet, but he's out there. Other than that, um, I'm super pleased. You know, it, it's a result that I got super happy at, and then I refused to be able to text people that because, you know, every text I sent was, oh, yeah, well, you know, it was fucking United. I, you should have thrashed them anyways. <laughs> but, like, it's true. You know, it, it's true. <laughs> <But> <laughs> um, yeah, all, all in all, I think anything less of a result would be worries to trouble. Anything more of a result would be the same exact result. You know, we beat them by a good amount. We should have. End of the day. Yeah. And that tells me that City is on their way back to the City of Old, not losing to Wolves, stuff like that. Not losing multiple games in a row. You know, we, we got a couple of tough fixtures on, on the horizon, so we need we need to get this lineup in order. We need Alvarez firing away, and we need to count the days until Kevin De Bruyne comes back before the Saudis try to take him because they just got in touch with their agents,
0: and I'm not happy about that. <laughs> That's a good way to piss in your Cheerios in the morning. Throw that up there on the, on the Instagram reel. That, I mean, Sean. To me, this was less of, and I know I don't. I don't want to take away any credit to Manchester City because they are a complete dominating force, right? I mean, they. If you look at the momentum chart, there's maybe three peaks of red in there, and that's it. Ball, ball possession was sixty to forty in favor of Man City. Man City had an expected goals according to Foot Mob, at four and Man United had .95. I mean, just total domination, 21 shots to seven. Man City played well. But you can't say that if they were facing a prime Manchester United that I think we would have seen the same results. And to me, I keep going back to one thing, and one thing in particular is that is the squad selection for Eric Tinhag made no sense to me. He puts two center backs who the combined age of Harry Maguire at 30 and Johnny Evans at 35 let alone could be in a 30 and up men's league in Hoboken and probably still get the same results. The average age of Manchester United squad was 28.2 years. And that's only because they had a 20-year-old up top. If they had any of their other ones this average age, you're probably pushing 29, 30. I mean, it's insane to me. I mean, granted, the average age for Manchester City was 27, but that's of full of middle to later age veterans who have earned the spot and is, can perform like they're 20 years old still. So to me, this one kind of goes up on the on the L board for Eicson Hogg and it doesn't make any sense to me his his squad selection on this. I mean, specifically in the center backs right there. And then you have you start Erickson, who's also another old timer, great, great, high quality, but you're just gonna get outran by the ball with Manchester city with these with these older legs out there. I mean, the only guy that really played, in my opinion, with some heart or some speed was Hoyland, and he took him off at the seventy-third minute, maybe because of uh, you know pre- preserving him. But what's your t- what's your take on the on the derby here? Yeah, I think uh, you hit a lot of points, and and Kyle did as well. So I'll keep my my thoughts brief.
1: Um, very puzzling team selection. Veron was benched, and Ten Hag came out after the game and said it was just to do to tactics. So you left your best available center back on the bench for Harry Maguire and the corpse of Johnny Evans like he was <laughs> five years ago, but come on. Um, the, the other thing I just wanted to point out was Pep just absolutely stuffed Ten Hag in the locker in this game. He doubled up instead of... instead of And Bernardo Silva's just a complete like Swiss army knife for, for Pep. He can use him in multiple different positions, different ways, but he kind of doubled up instead of playing like as an eight, he was almost like alongside Grealish on that left wing and they just gave Dalo fits. I mean, he's one person trying to cover two really skilled players. Kyle already highlighted how good Grealish played and and Silva did as well. Um I think it helped lead to one of one of the goals and just I mean, they just cut through United like a hot knife through butter. Um very impressive performance from City and United's in trouble, man. I mean, obviously the injuries are a major factor in in you know what they're dealing with and going through right now with with Martinez out, with Casemiro out. Um, you know, they don't really have a left back, but Regulon was fit too. And they played Lindelof at left back. So listen, you can, you can put as much blame as you want on the ownership. Um, we talked to Mike and Brendan, I would definitely recommend going back. And I think Brendan touched on it at the time. Yes, obviously the ownership is bad and there's a lot of things that have gone into it. Uh, um, you know, that that's hurt the club, but at the same time they need more from this squad and 10 hogs, you can't argue 10 hogs getting the best out of this squad. Like what's his style of play? They're playing. They're playing long ball. That's not how he played at IX. And he said, "Oh, we don't have the same players that I had at IX. We can't play the same football, dude." You spent eighty million on Anthony. That's your guy. You spent sixty million on on Casemiro. You spent a ton of money on Lissandro Martinez. These are your guys. And I know two of those who didn't play in this game. But I mean, it's it's awful from United right now. It's awful to watch. They just don't seem to have any connectivity from their midfield to the attack. They spent a ton of money on Mason Mount, and he's a rotation player right now. Scott yeah. McTominay started in this game in a double pivot. We already know how that works. With we, we used to make jokes about McFred for years, so um, <laughs> obviously, listen, they're gonna get you're gonna get fit, and that'll help help them, you know, get pick up points. But they're losing way too many games to finish top top five, particularly with the improvement of Tottenham and Liverpool over last year. Aston Villa you know, looks great. Newcastle's going to improve. Brighton's going to get fit too, and I—it's I, starting to look, you know, unless it turns around quickly, they're going to be certainly out of the top four and top four or five, and and potentially out of Europe if it just keeps up. But listen, I, they're only an eighth. At the same time, they're only an eighth. So yeah, we'll see. There's still a lot of time to turn it around, but things do not look good right now.
2: Uh, yeah, I just wanted to touch on what Sean said about the managers. For those of you out there that don't think a manager is important. This game actually marked a milestone for Manchester United. They have now lost as many games since the retirement of Sir Alex Ferguson 10 years ago that they have in Sir Alex Ferguson's entire 26 year tenure at Manchester United.
0: Yep. Let that sink in. 26 years he's there. He leaves. A decade later, they've matched it. How many, how many managers are since Ferguson? Uh, what, six or five? It's got to be up there.
1: And Hug, Rangnick, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, uh, Jose Mourinho, Moyes, and uh, Van Hall. So six. So six.
2: Yeah. Insane. Yeah, but then, you know, you look at the teams that have had a manager for a good amount of time. You know, you look at Liverpool with Klopp. You look at Arsenal with Arteta. City with Pep. Like, that's just the three of us. But those guys have been there for, for some years now. And they're building their team properly. United needs to find, and I, they thought they did. I thought they did with they yeah. And I am changing his, my mind quickly. His
1: talent ID. Of like, listen, you could talk again. We talk about the ownership, and, and we can move on after this. You could talk about the ownership, but Anthony was his guy. He had him at Ajax. He identified him. He sucks. He fucking sucks. Uh, like, uh, <laughs> l- let's not even talk about him being a scumbag off the pitch. He's not worth eighty million. He's not. He's not. He should have. He probably should have been sent off. By the way, for just kicking the absolute that swipe lumps Doku. Into,
0: into Doku. Yeah, ridiculous. But, that was the most action he saw all, all game. But that's your guy. Like you, you can say, oh well, they,
1: you know, the director of fo- they don't have a director of football, but this is your manager. Your manager just said, this is my guy. I won him, and they paid for him. They paid a fortune through the nose for him. He's not. He's not Manchester United level. He's not. So we'll see. But I, I,
0: I'm getting worked up, and I don't even like Man
1: United.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just a just passion for the EPL. That's it. But one thing that we can get passionate about, and this will be a quick one for all of you lovers out there, is the whomping that Arsenal put down on Sheffield United, the absolute worst team in the English Premier League to date right now. And uh, that was 5 nothing at the Emirates. A nice little change from a lot of travel for Arsenal. So it was a home crowd. Absolutely nailed it. I mean, this game reminded me of the PSV Champions League group stage game because this was just complete and utter domination. In all forms, defensive uh, strength and structure was 100% there. And you can't knock Sheffield United too much because that first half, they did have a lot of good structure and positional awareness in the defensive half of their own home. Um, In that first half, they went into that second half only down by one, and then the floodgates opened in particularly for one, Eddie Nketiah, who's been under a lot of criticism, or not necessarily criticism, but under a microscope for when he performs to see if he can really be number two and and put up some competition with uh, Jesus for the number one spot. And, you know, I've heard it, and I'll say it again. If I have a 100% healthy Gabriel Jesus, I'm going to pick him over Eddie Kedia every time, but you cannot not like Enkedia. I love Eddie. He is brought up from Hale End. He is an academy grad, and you love to see that. And he played his socks off on this game, a great hat trick, has his first Premier League hat trick before Rashford does. And then as of right now, <laughs> as of right now, after this game, he has more goals this season than Rashford, Hoyland, Fernandez, Erickson, Mason Mountain, Anthony combined. And more than half of those came from one game, just from 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 Eddie. So a great hats off to Eddie on this one. I would love to hear what everyone's opinion on it. If this is a, a point where you kind of test the waters and you say, okay, we're going to go all in on Eddie. Or we're going to go in in January and try to find a, a more competition for Gabriel Jesus on top. Because right now, that's the only position I see that needs growth and possibly more depth. And even then, it's a pretty shallow, it's, it's pretty, pretty already deep, I should say, with Eddie providing that coverage when Jesus is out. You don't really want too many gigantic stars fighting for the first spot, you can tell, based off of what we have in goalkeepers right now. You know, that's a little bit of confusion. You we, we want a number one striker, but you want someone who's going to push that number one striker. And I think Eddie does a really good job at doing that. He doesn't really say boo uh, about his playing time. He he puts in the shift when he needs to put in the shift, and this is what happens. Uh, again, of course, it's against Sheffield United, but a hat trick is not something to take lightly. So that's great. One last thing I kind of want to say about this game is a bit of a surprise for me. I didn't see Martin Ludegaard get in there at all. Which, you know, if he's in, you know, nursing a knock or something like that, I understand. But I thought this would have been maybe a really good game to get his confidence back, maybe put him back on the on the on the goal sheet. But regardless, it was a great overall performance from a very large amount of our players. You got Tamiyasu even scoring goals out there. I mean, the man, you can tell how much everyone loved that. And the and you know, just everyone around I think the league is a Tamiyasu fan. So lo- love to see that from the boys. And I'm looking forward to a midweek competition against West Ham. Uh, for the Carabao Cup, I'd be, you know, intrigued to see what type of lineup they throw out because next week against Newcastle, we'll get that in our look ahead, to me, is a more important game. So I don't want to see too much emphasis in the Carabao Cup starting 11 there. But, um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, the last thing, Sean, you have here, Sheffield United has lost 20-2 to on aggregate in their last five games, which is really impressive, to be honest with you. That's, that's a tough stat to swallow. And I think we all kind of have Sheffield right now locked in at that relegation zone for quite a, quite yeah. a
1: while. One point so far this year. Um, let's let's hop into Wolves, Newcastle, <laughs> but they so have so one bad. point, and they're lost. Like you just said, they're minus 18 in their last five. So Sheffield Reading. United, I'm going to do the Kyle. Your feathers. We'll smell yeah. you later. And, uh, enjoy the championship. Oh, That's
0: man. great. Do you want to go ahead, Sean, take this away? You kind of brought it up already, and I know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not sure if it's next week or the following week, but we're going to have a special feature for the Wolves. So I think it's a great time of the season for them to get hot and get rolling against some really big-name teams too. So we have the Wolverhampton Wanderers tying up Newcastle at home. So it's it was a 2-2 finish. What you got, um, Sean?
1: Yeah, they came. Wolves came from behind twice to answer Colin Wilson some goals in the first half. Um, and it we talked about it last week. I think I don't remember if we highlighted this game or not, but we might have talked about their their previous game. Pedro Neto and Huang Hee Chan, two of the most informed players in the league right now. Uh Pedro Neto got his seventh assist of the season in this game on the first goal, and then Huang Hee Chan, unbelievable. You gotta look up this this goal. I forget who he drops on his ass, but just a, a beautiful feint and then finishes it near post on Pope. Um, I think was trippier. It was trippier. I think trippier was coming across. Yeah. It's even more Uh, impressive. Yeah, and and the only guys with more goals than Huang Yi Chan right now, Holland, Salah, Son, and then Callum Wilson, who's like we said, had two in this game. So he's in great form. The only negative for uh for Wolves is that Neto left this game with a hamstring injury in the seventy seventh minute, and he's been their talisman. Um, just we've seen it against City, we've seen it against Liverpool, we saw it against Newcastle. He's been their main man this year, so hopefully he doesn't miss too much time. They get him back and and fit early because, um, yeah, he it'd be tough to to cope without him. But he's been he's been great this year. And Newcastle, obviously, uh, it's a disappointing result for them. Um, and they have a tough tough slate coming up. Listen, they they beat Aston Villa at the beginning of the year, but now they they're trailing them in the table. They have Arsenal coming to Saint James's Park again. Like we said, we'll get into that this weekend. Um. But their, their next month features games like we talked about, Man United in the Carabao Cup, Arsenal this weekend, Dortmund away, Bournemouth away, Chelsea at home, PSG away, Man U at home, and Tottenham away. That's all within the next 35 days. So this is a huge stretch for Newcastle United to, you know, either establish themselves as top five contenders, or, you know, they might fall back a bit, and, you know, we'll see if they if they regress. But this is a huge stretch, and they'll be doing it without Isak,
0: which, you know, you've talked about it, you know, multiple times in the last couple of weeks. And Tonali. I think people right. are going to forget about that right. quickly, but their depth charts are it's shrinking fast. Uh, they're they're a team to keep their eye out on for action in the in the winter window. So we'll we'll see. I mean, <laughs> just those games you rattled off, Sean, and you you know what's crazy? Most of those games, the really tough ones that you have in there, like against Dortmund and against PSG, everyone forgets they're in the group of death for Champions League. They really got thrown into it. So this is going to be a tough, tough stretch for them. Overall, uh, an entertaining game nonetheless. Uh, we did talk about that game last week briefly as one to watch because my parlay, uh, I, it was one of the legs, and unfortunately right. it, that was a tie and not a win. And then, of course, uh, the final leg, who West Ham versus Everton also lost, but that we can talk about later on too. during. Should you get the, two losses then?
1: I feel like you should get two that's losses. That's a double loss. I said it was yeah, a parlay. Absolutely, should count as a
0: double loss. What do you, Kyle? 0 oh, 6 then this season, my friend? Come on, ah. Kyle. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to lie to you, James. You're usually the one that keeps track of that stuff. <laughs> but I'm pretty
2: sure I'm 1 and 1.
0: I don't know. I don't know. I won my first week. I think have gone league. at least three times, though. Right, we'll talk about it we'll, when we we'll get, get, there. To our we'll get there. there. We'll get there. We're just we'll so be. excited. We're buzzing for it. And the last thing that we're going to talk about is some more buzzing, and that's the bees. Brentford take it to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge and win 2-0. The scoreline of 2-0 kind of is a bit, I think, biased to the bees because the last one was an open net or hockey-style goal it's from Sean's boy, Buemo, who we highlighted last week because it is the man on fire. Um, a very unselfish play by his fellow team, teammate teammate to give him that goal. But uh, the bees are buzzing. I think the ball is finally bouncing their way for for once. You know, the earlier games in the season, they were losing late in the games. You, you go back to the Manchester United thriller that they won with the two stoppage time goals, which was absurd. The bees have been playing good soccer. Period. They have. They just have not gotten the soccer god bounces, and possibly now it's starting to bounce their way. And I think winning against a Chelsea team in good form, especially at home right now, and not especially at home, but a good, historically good team of Chelsea is is a big, big plus for them. Um, Sean, you highlighted here that was a kind of strange, weird team selection from Poch playing De- uh, Diossi in the right back instead of Rich James or Gusto, who I highlighted as Gusto being one of the top players against Arsenal last week. So that was a bit of a shock to me too. It just didn't help them at all because it didn't give them enough kind of Wing backs without fully being wing back presence down the sidelines. So I think Poch maybe was trying to tinker with that a little bit too much. Um, but obviously the bees have been playing good soccer and Chelsea's inconsistent. So it's what's going to happen for Chelsea throughout the season. Hopefully they can get back to the top of the table because I believe they're sitting right now currently in 11th place um, as far as standings go. And the bees are bees are climbing their way back up as well. But For now, I think that's a good way to end our segment number two, and we'll get into our look at right after these messages. And by messages, just some really cool music. So we'll see you in a minute. All right, and we are back for our upcoming weekend look ahead, and we'll get to Kyle's Lock of the Week at the end as well. We kind of segued into it briefly from last segment, and it is the Newcastle-Arsenal game at St. James Park this weekend. So both of these fixtures between the team last year were extremely heated because of the year previously becoming quite a bit of a rivalry, I believe, here that's not in London, um, just because Newcastle was essentially the reason why Arsenal did not finish In the top four positions the previous year, or even it was top eight, I think, uh, the previous year before that. And then last year, Arsenal won one fixture and tied the other fixture. They actually managed to win the away fixture last year, which I thought was an extremely impressive victory, um, especially in a time of need. So if there was another time of need for Arsenal to win against Newcastle away, this would be this weekend on Saturday. It's a huge game. I think it's a perfect opportunity. Arsenal was able to rest a couple key players this weekend. Like I said before, I think they need to come out with a lighter lineup in the Carabao Cup against West Ham. Kyle's mentioned before. Shawnee mentioned before. I don't care about no stupid paperweights. I ain't trying to put that one on the shelf. I don't think we're going to win no trebles either, so we got to focus on what's important, and it's definitely not the Carabao Cup. So I think this game we got to go out strong on the weekend. You know, head-to-head. We've drawn three times. We've lost three times. We've won 20 times. Our last two wins, we've won 2-0. We tied in 0-0. We lost 2-0. And then we won again 2-0. So this will be a really interesting and fun game. I think the only thing to mention here is whether or not we'll see the return of Gabriel Jesus. Um, That will be the big question. Obviously, I don't want to force anything there. And I don't think Arteta would either, especially with Enkedia coming off of a hat trick. But a very exciting game to watch on Saturday. If anyone's in the area, I will be at Mulligans watching this. So just wear your iHeart James Cesarero shirt, and I'm sure I'll spot you out in the crowd and give you a big high five, and possibly probably buy you a Guinness. So definitely give that a go. Car bomb, but, uh, a car bomb, yes, for sure. At what what time is this one's at? Ten o'clock in the morning, or yeah, yeah it's at ten a.m. Yeah, that's easy. That's easy. Money. That's that's late. That's a late start for you on on, uh, on a Premier League Saturday at Mulligans. <laughs> that is. That is but something that's a little bit later in the evening. I don't know if it is there, are there is theirs on Saturday too? No, they're on Monday night. night. They're Monday night. Monday night football. All right. Kyle, take it away. Tottenham Hotspur's first Chelsea at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium.
2: Yeah. Chelsea don't have a chance, man. <laughs> uh no, I you know, Chelsea have defeated Tottenham thirty three times more than any other Premier League opponent. I am not saying 33 times like a mathematical equation. They have won 33 times, period, over more than any other team. All right, it's not like they've won 10 billion games. But you know what? At the end of the day, Chelsea, in in the shit that they have been performing with this season, have taken points off Arsenal and Liverpool. So, you know, those games remind me of the games of old. Shit, Chelsea is, you know, I wake up from a coma in 10 years. I'm going to tell you Chelsea's in the top four. That's just how it is. You know, that's how it's been. So this should be a very fun matchup. You do have two very high-name teams in there, Tottenham, Chelsea. But, you know, you also have Ming Son on Tottenham, who has scored five goals in his last five games. He's the hottest player in the Premier League. So, I mean, I'm sure James would say there's better-looking people, but he is the best <laughs> player right now in the Premier League. I got nothing against uh, Son man. <laughs> I like Sonny. All right, yeah, that's fair. His only crime is to he's no Ben White. Yeah, I knew you were gonna say Ben
1: White. How did I know you were gonna say Ben White?
2: <laughs> but yeah, I would be, I would be very, very surprised if Chelsea took any type of points from this game. This, this seems like each team's trajectory has them meeting at two completely different points on the x-axis here, x-axis. You know, so, yeah. shit, man, I, I could see this one even getting out of hand. Maybe I would say maybe three one if I had to predict it in favor of Tottenham. I think Sterling might be able to to sneak one in there, and if anyone does, it would be Sterling, in my opinion. I think Youngman Son scores. I was I would even put him at two, you know. So I think this
0: is going to be a a game that's over by halftime. I would I would say that. yeah, I, it's ridiculous. I'm just looking at the injury list and suspension for um for chelsea and you have wesley fofana who's out until late march you have chelba who's out for until i don't know when labia is december mikula mudrick has apparently picked up a knock he's out for a few days you got enzo who also picked up a knock he's out for a few days you get in cuckoo <laughs> back in november i mean it's just it's just adding up for chelsea so absolutely brutal and they have not won against Tottenham out of their last two appearances. So I think you're, I think we'll get to your lock of the week, but a little foreshadowing there for you, Kyle. Yeah. But um, moving to another location in London, uh, one of the second games in London this weekend on Saturday at 11 a.m. is Brentford versus West Ham. And I just want to bring this up because we mentioned before how the bees are buzzing. I think the ball is finally bouncing their way. And unfortunately for the opposite side of this coin, West Ham is – is not having the ball bounce their way after the last three couple of games. I believe they're actually possibly in jeopardy of losing three fixtures in a row now, which would be a kind of turn of events for a recently in great form West Ham United. They have a tough fixture against Arsenal this midweek against us in the Carabao Cup. And apologies, but they could lose four games in a row if they were to lose to Arsenal and then five games in a row if they were to lose to Brentford. Over the weekend, so this is definitely not the point in the season. Right before the height of busy season in December, you got to get as many points as you physically can. Getting to this last bit of winter play, um, if you if you have hopes of finishing top five, top six, so this is a, a game to watch as well, just because of how this might influence the table going down into the next coming weeks. But we've alluded to it a few times already, and it is the return of the Paperweight Cup. <laughs> so exciting! <laughs> Yay! And here, and here to bring us more on that action is Mr. Paperweight himself, Sean Larkin. Please, come on in. Yeah, I guess I'll I'll wear that.
1: Liverpool's the the most uh, league cups. I think they have thirteen, which is two more than anybody else. So yeah, I'll wear that. Um, but yeah, just a preview of a couple of games: Mansfield Town versus Port Vale. That guarantees we're getting a team from outside the top two flights in the quarterfinal. Mansfield Town is in the uh, in League 2 and Port Vale's in League 1. So that's a good one to keep an eye on. We got Man United-Newcastle. That's a rematch of last year's Carabao Cup Final. We got Ipswich Town versus Fulham. This is my upset alert, folks. Ipswich Town is currently second in the EFL Championship. They have pageantry and history on their side. They've won the EFL Cup before. They've won the FA Cup. They've even won what is now the Europa League back in the 80s. So this is a team to keep an eye on. Like I said, they are currently in an automatic promotion position in the championship. They play good football. It's a, almost a two and a half hour commute from uh, from West London all the way to the to the East Coast of Ipswich. So um, yeah, I think this is a, could definitely be an upset. And then a couple other games we got Bournemouth, Liverpool, Chelsea, Blackburn, West Ham, Arsenal. Like James talked about, we'll be interested to see what those lineups look like. I think that's a good opportunity for both sides to get their, you know, youth academy guys involved. Um, you know, both teams obviously in Europe right now. Particularly Arsenal's known for and West Ham. Honestly, both have you know very good academy players. So you know, look for a couple of debuts there. Um, and then the the last one I want to talk about: Exeter, Middlesbrough. Exeter's in League Two, and Middlesbrough's in uh, doing well in the Championship. But it's a six-hour and 12-minute drive. From Middlesbrough, which is up in the northeast, all the way down to the southwest coast to St James Park. Not St James's, where Newcastle plays. St James Park, that's another one. Maybe keep an eye on. I know, obviously, Exeter's much lower down in in the leagues, but six hour commutes got to wear on you. We know uh, how much Pep likes to oh, complain about God, coming dude. from Manchester <laughs> to London. So it's terrible. imagine adding an it's, extra, two, you know, terrible. hour and a half on there. Um, and then finally, Everton Burnley. Everton Burnley, uh, two teams who stink in the league, but you know <laughs> potentially is, they can look to you know use the the League Cup you know for solace.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. Especially with man with Everton coming off of a win over West Ham this weekend, I think they can use that a bit of momentum, and they're going to need it with all of the point deduction possibly still looming in the future, in the near future for that one. But point. we've mentioned a few times. How about you, Kyle? What is your lock? Sean, first of all, I love that Ipswich. Yeah, upset what the alert. hell is that, man? How the hell I did love you figure all that out? I love that one. I put here, Sean, tell us about Ipswich, kind of jokingly, because if there was anyone who's going to know anything about Ipswich, it would be Sean. So I you blew my mind on that one, which is perfect. Exactly. Want to see? And I want to see this upset now, for sure. Absolutely. Rooting for that one. I'm going to bet it. A hundred percent.
1: Okay. I didn't. This is not gambling invite. I'm not a financial <laughs> advisor. Blah blah blah. Yeah, whatever the disclaimer is. Right, so so tie no draw, tie no bet, no problem. <laughs> but yeah, that one's Wednesday at three forty five. So, you know, if you get out of work early, you could maybe check that or throw that one on. So something someone to keep an eye on for sure. Um, I think they're I like all the on Carabao ESPN Club.
0: Plus, right? They're all on yeah, ESPN Plus. All so on ESPN Plus FA at Cup this point, everyone. Carabao. Yeah, everyone should get this one. But uh, someone who should not also be a financial advisor when it comes to the locks of the week. Kyle, how about you, bro? You are I looking- mean,
2: you are sitting there at one and two, and I am sitting on my pedestal at one and one, sir. So I will give you the correct lock of the week, which is Spurs over Chelsea at plus 115. We went over Fair. every reason why this is going to happen, so I don't have to go that again. But instead of my reasoning, I have a question for everyone, and including you guys who do you think is going to finish higher this year between Aston Villa and Newcastle? We got two of the the most fun teams to watch at the beginning of the season. They each have 26 goals for, which is the highest in the Premier League. They are tied for one. And then each of them are letting up 11 or 15 goals, which is, you know, middle of the table. Newcastle's at 11, Aston Villa's at 15, and they have a five-point spread between them, which is, you know, there's four goals differential between them and a five-point spread. So it's pretty significant, but they're both living up to their names of they could potentially
0: be very good this year. So at the end of the season, what are you guys thinking? It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I'll go first, Sean. And I think Newcastle will finish higher than Aston Villa just because of depth um, and just because they've had a jump start on what we would like to call the process. I would not shy away from... Unai Emery's ability to manage and rotate a squad properly. That's some a gift that he does have. And not going to lie, Villa looks great. One of my upset or non-popular opinions at the beginning of the season was that Villa would finish higher than Brighton. I, I said that one. But I do think that Newcastle will come and, and edge them out. I actually, I'm going to go the
1: other way and call me a prisoner of the moment. But I just think with the ESOC injury, the amount of games that we just went through that Newcastle, you know, with big implications that they have coming up, and then also Tenali's ban, and then the way, you know, Villa has overcome the injuries that they've faced. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm obviously there's some recency bias there, but I'm actually going to take Villa to finish higher. I think Newcastle probably has a better squad, but I think in terms of gel and, and all of that, uh, I'm, I lean towards the villains at the moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The villains. <laughs> I love That's it. fantastic. Well, I think I love that. A little good way, a little good way to end the podcast here. And I think we can end on a high note. And hopefully if you're a Villa fan or a Newcastle fan, Sean and I kind of gave you both sides of the coin there. So I think we can all leave happily for the remainder of the evening or the day. And with that, we all appreciate your listen as always, your participation, your questions and everything you do for us here at the EPL state of mind. We hope to keep bringing you all these fun, entertaining subjects But until next time, enjoy this weekend's game. And if you're in the area and you do feel like going down Mulligans, I will see you there on Saturday. So everybody, enjoy. Just make sure I get out of the bar safely. And I appreciate you even more. All right. Until next time, enjoy your weekend weekend.